stand with me, if you're able, in honor of the word of God, as I read 2 Chronicles 20, 14 through 19. And the spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, son of Benaiah, son of Jael, son of Mataniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph, in the midst of the assembly. And he said, Listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord to you, Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours but God's. Tomorrow go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz. You will find them at the end of the valley, east of the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid, and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow, go out against them, and the Lord will be with you. Then Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites of the Kohathites and the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. The word of God for the people of God. Thank you, Keely. You may be seated. It's been a good service. It's glad to have all of you here today, it's nice to have the, the group and the couples and the families from Los Alamos. If you have a chance, say hello to them. It's, it's good to have them. It's good to have people. Amen. Glad to have you all. <laughs> and it's good to just have people uh, returning that we haven't got to see uh, this summer. And, and then all of you all uh, regulars, it's great to see you. We appreciate you and love you, and we're glad to have you here and definitely feel your all's love and support. We've been reading through the Bible this year together, and in the order that we're reading it, uh, Second Chronicles was the last book of the Old Testament. That's actually the way the Hebrew Bible is laid out. It ends uh, with Second Chronicles. It covers basically the whole history of the Old Testament. Uh, it has nine chapters of uh, beginning with a genealogy. Do you guys like reading through that? A lot of names, obviously very important. It is the people that are key to the whole Old Testament, and it started with Adam. So it's a pretty thorough history of uh, God working through his people. He desires to have a people here on this earth that he works through and demonstrates his glory through and that he receives glory and worship from. And that's what he's doing Uh, from Genesis to Revelation. In the end, that's where it all ends up. We end up glorifying God. And so today our text was from 2 Chronicles chapter 20, and I titled this Salvation's Fight. And what it is is there's a fight for salvation throughout redemption history through Chronicles, and you do see a lot of actual battles. But the thing that they're battling is whether they will trust in God 
or rely on the arm and strength of man, like make alliances with other kings, or will they, you know, just trust in the Lord? So it's a battle of exercising their faith. And you see this all through the Old Testament, but Chronicles is just a review of that. Um, and so you also see that what they do in this text and in this chapter, they do in several other battles. They offer up prayer. So our role in the battle is to pray. And then what you see after that is they offer up praise. So if you want to know what to do when you're in the midst of battle, uh, those are two of your things. Stand firm in your faith, exercise your faith, and pray. Pray real, get real, because the battle's real. And so this is what they do in this text. Uh, It's a a great text. I love uh, 2 Chronicles 20, 17. It says just to stand firm. The battle is the Lord's. Stand firm in your faith and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. See the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. See what he will do on your behalf, how he will deliver you, how he will save you, how he will work things out for your good. Oh, just see. See the salvation. See the fight. The fight for salvation is his. He's doing battle. And your response to the good news of the gospel is to stand firm in your faith, exercise your faith, believe in him, put your trust in him, and pray. Pray to him and praise him and give thanks to him. Amen? That's where we're headed today. I want you to see that there's a lot of battles through Chronicles. And a real brief review, looking back uh, in Second Chronicles 13, we see a battle with Abijah and Jeroboam. The tribes have split And so Israel's the northern tribes, and they've made Samaria and, you know, built their own. And and Judah is still remaining along with Benjamin in the south, and they war together. But what happens is Abijah, he, in this battle, relies on the Lord. That's what it says in verse 18. The men of Israel were subdued at that time. Why? And the men of Judah prevailed. Why? Because they relied on the Lord, the God of their fathers. Who relied on the Lord? Judah did. They prevailed. And so we see this theme working in battles. Now, they actually had to go out and fight in these battles. And so, but their, their reliance was on the Lord. Uh, read Second Chronicles 13. Good, you see battle there. Second Chronicles 14, you have Asa now, uh, a king. And it lists how many people he has in his army. But they're outnumbered by another army that comes. And this is, again, this is Zerah. The Ethiopian, Second Chronicles 14.9 says, Zerah the Ethiopian came out against them. So he has an army of a million. And it's a powerful army, well-equipped army. It has 300 chariots. That's pretty powerful. They got some of the latest technology, equipment. So what does Asa do in verse 11? It says, he cried to the Lord his God. His God. Not just God, but his God. Personal Asa cried out to Lord like, and here's what he says, O Lord, there is none like you to help. None like you to help. There's no one else like you to come and rescue and help. Between the mighty and the weak, who did he see himself as? He was humbling himself. He's like, this army is bigger than us. I got way more chariots. But you're a God who likes to help the weak. Come and help us. This is his cry. We rely on you. 
Is God bigger than your enemy? Then you're going to win every time when you rely on him. And that's what Chronicles chronicles. It chronicles when you rely on God and you seek him, you win. And when you don't, you fail miserably and it doesn't matter when the, you know, the, the numbers are in your favor. You fail. Second Chronicles 16, we read about the 36th year of Asa. So you see there's these times the, the battle begins in his 10th year. You see it looks like there's battle after battle, but there's 26 years of peace here. When you, when you read these, these fights. But in Second Chronicles 16, you see the opposite. You see that in this next war that comes, 26 years later, Hanani, the, the prophet, the seer, comes to Asa, and he says, because you fail, you, you rely on the king of Syria. Now look at what he did before. He relied on the Lord. They beat this huge army, and Hanani reminds him of that, that you did not rely on the Lord your God, but you relied on the army of the king of Syria. And so the king of Syria has escaped you. And he reminds them in verse 8, he says, We're not the Ethiopians. Remember when he just defeated the Ethiopians, that million-man army, 300 chariots, is powerful. And remember that? Now, this is 26 years ago, I remind you. But do we forget the Lord's power, his deliverance? Asa had, and he had relied and sought the arm of flesh, and he did not rely on the Lord. And he says, we're not the Ethiopians, a huge army with many chariots and horsemen, yet because you relied on the Lord, he gave them into your hand. Remember that? And here's what he says in verse 9. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. Like, will you just give your whole heart to him? Asa, man, why, why didn't you remember? This is a big part of what I do up here is I'm just trying to remind you. Do you remember do you remember when you stood and saw the Lord deliver you, when you stood and saw the salvation of the Lord, when you saw his grace for the very first time and he delivered you? Do you remember that sweet deliverance from your enemies, from the enemy of sin, and he lifted you up, and he took you out of the miry clay? This is what David prays. He remembers, you know, like taking me out of the miry clay and putting my feet upon a rock. David recalls that, and he remembers that. Save me from the pit. You have saved me, O Lord, from the miry clay and lifted me up and put my feet on the rock. Remember that? Remember that great salvation where you stood and saw him lift you up and carry you and take you to his table and give you the bread of life? Yeah, I remember. I remember. And he's saying... God's looking around the, the world. His eyes are going to and fro like, who can I deliver? Who will humble them? Who will have a tender heart before me and humble them so that I can come and rescue them with my mighty outstretched right arm? Who? He's looking. And we see Asa's miserable failure in this, even after a great success. And you see this back and forth in Chronicles. You see some, but his son was uh, Jehoshaphat. And he becomes in there in Second Chronicles 17 after this. And he reigned in his place. And uh, he strengthened himself. And in Second Chronicles 17, 6, it says that Jehoshaphat's heart was courageous in the ways of the Lord. Don't you love that? You love this guy? I'm starting to like this guy right away. Judah had some good kings along the way. And this is one of them. His heart was courageous in the ways of the Lord. And furthermore, he took the high places and the ashram out of Judah. 
He went after the false gods. He tore them down. He beat them into powder. He threw them into the river Kidron where they dumped the trash and refuse. He says, these are these false gods. We're coming back to serve the Lord. Powerful, powerful leader turning uh, people's hearts back to the Lord. Very strong images there. His heart was courageous. And in 2 Chronicles 17, 7 through 9, in the third year of his reign... He encounters uh, some things. And in verse 9, it says what he did was he took people. Not only did he destroy all the the false gods and get rid of them out of Judah. He cleaned house. That's where you kind of start. And then what he did was he uh, brought teachers into Judah. So uh, 2 Chronicles 17, 7 through 9, uh, verse 9, I'll just read that. It says, and they taught. So he got these great teachers, and he sent them out. They were Levites, priests, and it lists their names. And it says, they taught in Judah, having the book of the law of the Lord with them. They went out and did Bible teaching. Like, this is how we're going to live. This is how I'm going to rule. This is how our country, this is how we're, what we're going to operate under, under the word of God. Go out and teach them. So Jehoshaphat's starting out great. He's building doctrine and teaching in the people of people. That's a good thing to be taught in the ways of the Lord, in the ways of the word. And they went about through all the cities of Judah and taught among the people. So he got some great teachers and taught throughout. So Joshua has a lot of good things going uh, for him. And he comes to this place in 2 Chronicles 20 in our text. And it says that this he had a lot of peace because he was doing things right. But even though you have a lot of peace, Jehoshaphat's doing things right. You know, armies still come against you. Battles will still come to you. No matter how good and right you do things, there are enemies out there, enemies of your soul, coming to test your faith and testing the people's faith too. So this army comes up against Jehoshaphat, and in verse 3 it says he was very afraid. But in his fear, he seeks the Lord. It says he was very afraid, and he set his face to seek the Lord. And the other thing he did was he proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. He said, all y'all pray with me, fast with me, pray with me. He proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. He assembled Judah, and he said, come and seek the Lord. Let's seek help from the Lord. And from all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. I mean, they've been taught. They have all these teachers going out. They know the book of law. They know we need, there's a big army, you know, uh, gathering against us. We need to seek the Lord. And Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord, here's where it starts in prayer. Here's what we can do. God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? Are you? Are you not? And he says, you rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. He's proclaiming God's sovereignty. You're all powerful. You rule in heavens above. This is who you are, God. You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might so that none, none, none is able to withstand you. Like what God wants and what God desires and what God plans is going to happen. And Jehoshaphat's like just yielding humbly to that. That's who you are, God. And in front of all the people, that's what he's praying. God, you are sovereign. Oh, there's a lot of rest in that. When you're going up against battle, are you going up? Are you going up on your own? If I do this right, if I do that right, if I have this much and that much, you know, I'm going to see it. If I don't, I'm going to fail. Oh, my gosh, there's a lot of fear in that. But if you proclaim in prayer 
And before people testify, God, God is all-powerful, and he's in control here, and I rest in him, and I rest in that, that he is all-powerful over all kings, over all their kingdoms, over all their rule. There's great peace in that, rest in that, people of God, and that's what Jehoshaphat's doing. He's starting out in prayer, prayer that acknowledges that we might not know what to do, but he does. And that's where we get into in Second Chronicles 20, uh, verse 12, at the end of this prayer. He says, Oh, our God, will you not execute judgment on them? They're coming up against you. This is who we are. We have this inheritance. It's from you. We know it's from you. Will you come and be with us and execute judgment on them? They're coming against you, your possession, your inheritance for us. They're coming. He's, he's proclaiming that. And then he says, for we are powerless. This is, this, is, this is humble. We can't do it. We are powerless against this great horde. We can't win. We're not going to win. We can't. We're powerless. That's coming against us. And, and he says, we do not know what to do. Then he says this, but our eyes, our eyes, our eyes are on you. Look, searching, we're seeking you, God. We're going to lose against this mighty horde. We have no chance against them. And we don't know what to do. But our eyes, our eyes are on you. Our eyes are on you. The, the New Testament exhorts us with this. In Hebrews 12, uh, 1 through 2, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings to us. See, you're doing a battle against weight and sin that clings closely to you. You're in a wrestling battle with sin, and it's trying to lure you away. It's trying to lure you away from God and your trust and faith in God, your simple devotion to Christ. He's trying to take you away from that. The simple purity of your love for Jesus, any way he can get in to bring a wedge He's warring with that, bringing that weight. Weight of sin, that's your battle. So what do you do? Let us run with endurance. Don't give up. The race that's set before us, how do you do it? You see him, you look towards him. You look, you fix your eyes on him. It says looking to Jesus, uh, fixing your eyes on Jesus, one version says. I love that the founder and perfecter of our faith. It's a, it's a war against your faith. Who perfected your faith? Who completed your faith? Who do you stand in? Who do you stand in alone? Is it Jesus or Jesus and the arm of flesh? Is it Jesus alone? Are you fixed your eyes wholly on him? Or is there an encase plan over here or is it just all out him because those are the people he's looking to and fro from the earth on he's looking to and fro from them who have no other help and they're looking desperately to him and they're saying nothing else can deliver me from this nothing else can deliver me from this addiction nothing else can deliver me from this mental illness nothing else has worked no medicine no drugs no doctors no anything like that woman that reaches out for the hem of the garment i have no other help but you if i touch this if I touch you, Jesus, if I see you, if I look only, these are the people that get things from God, not people that are half-hearted, not people that have their own strength. They're Christians. 
And I know that maybe not be the definition of a Christian to you, a Jesus only, a basket where you put him in with all your other gods and idols whenever they don't come through for you in your own timing or in your own way or when you're up against a horde that you know you can't defeat. You say, well, I better go get my own help, right? Or do you say, I have no other help but you and stand in that? This is where Jehoshaphat is, and this is where he's leading his people. He's saying, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Pray. I've always noticed, like, Paul's prayers. Like, why doesn't he pray for this and that and all these things? But his prayers are like in Ephesians. He's like, that you may have the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope Well, how's that going to help me with all these things? That you may have the eyes of your heart open, that you might see, see all you have from God. How's that going to help me with my marriage? How's that going to help me with a job? That you may see him and have the answer. Gosh, that's so simple. That you may fix your eyes on him when you pray and say, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are fixed on you. That's, That's someone that God's going to come and rescue and help, and that's where the king is at. King Jehoshaphat, he's got a pretty good-sized army, but he's up against something way bigger. And he knows no matter how big his army is, he's going to lose. He doesn't know what to do. Man, you've lived long enough, you've entered some places where you don't know what to do. And you've tried everything, and you've given all the instructions, and you've done all the instructions, and you've given them uh, to your children and your grandchildren, all them, and you see it not work just like you thought it should. And you get to the point where you're like just tender and humble-hearted. And you say, I don't know what to do. But my eye is still on you. My eyes are still on you. And he says, our. This is Jehoshaphat's prayer for the people. We. He's not just saying I. He's saying we don't know what to do. But our eyes. It was a community king over the people effort. It's interesting, these Paul's. Paul's prayers, or that the eyes would be opened, the eyes of your heart, the true eyes, that they would be enlightened to know who you are in Christ, to know where you stand, and to be dependent and hope on everything that he's given you and nothing else. That's what his prayers are like. That's what biblical prayers are like. I've had people ask me, hey, I want to pray for you, and I say, I say, pray Ephesians 1, 16 through 18 for me. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's a Bible prayer. Yeah, Paul, yeah, but what can we pray for you? And I said, that, that, pray that. Yeah, but I want to know, like, is it, you know, what's going on? Is this, that will help me, God's word right there. If my eyes are open to him and you pray that for me, that's what Paul's praying. That's the power of the word in prayer. What about Peter, you know? In Matthew 14, 20, it says, but when he saw the wind, can you imagine, man, walking on water? Peter did it. Got up there, they say, how many people walked on water? It's two. Because Peter got out there, man, if it's you, Lord, bid me come. And he went out on, based on the word of God, the word of God, Jesus, the I am. He began to understand he is the I am. He's the Christ, the son of the living God. Peter's like, I know you are. You're the I am. Bid me come and let me walk on the water. And he walks on it. You've got to give him that, man. He's courageous like Jehoshaphat, full of courage in his heart. But he gets out there, and what happens with his eyes? 
sees the strong wind, sees the wind, he gets off of Jesus, man. That's simple like you're God, and I'm trusting you. He sees, he sees the strong wind, the mighty wind, and he begins to sink. But he cries out, Lord, save me, and he does, and he walks back on the water with Jesus to the boat and gets in it. Yeah, and that's salvation. (laughs) He fights your battles. He wins. You trust. You fix your eyes on him, and he wins the battle. Don't take your eyes off of Jesus, even in the midst of the storm. Don't get your eyes on the wind. Don't get your eyes on the strength of that wind or the strength of that army or the strength of the enemy. But fix your eyes on Jesus and his strength, and it is so much more. It is so much more. His mercy is so much more. His mercy is so much more than all of our failures and all of our sins. His mercy is so much more. His grace is so much more powerful. Second Chronicles 20:17. we arrive at this. You will not need to fight in this battle. There's the prophets speaking. Prophets, priests, and, and, and kings are all throughout. They're working together when it works. And when it doesn't work, they're not. But they're working, and the prophet... As, as Keely read the text today, uh, is coming and he's speaking this word and he's telling them, you will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see. <laughs> Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord. See it. Just stand back and watch it. But he does want them to stand firm. He wants them to hold their position. And he does say, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow, go out against them. That's fighting talk. Go out against them. They will go out against them. They will be prepared. They will go out against them. Go out and face your enemy. But you're not going to fight. Salvation's fight is God's. You go out in grace, clothed in grace. And you know what they went out with? Clothed with song. Clothed with music. How powerful music is throughout all the Bible. How, how, how David could just come and play his instrument and demons would flee from Saul. Just playing his instrument, playing the heart. And they'd say, go get that guy, that shepherd boy. Bring him in here, man. Saul's on a tantrum. Demons are, you know, and they're coming, just let him come and play. Sorry. Play his instrument. Demons flee, man. And they have a hold on this. They have a hold on praise. They have a hold on prayer. Jehoshaphat does. And he, and he, he, he says, you know, what we're going to do is, all you Levites, uh, you're going to go out in the battle. You're going to go out first. What? <laughs> it reminds me of, like, marching around Jericho, all right? What are you, gonna, you guys going to do? March around. March again again. March around again. Do what I say. Well, come on, commander. What are we supposed to do? What's the battle strategy? Well, what we're going to do is continue to march around the city. Then what are you going to do? Oh, we're going to blow trumpets and scream real loud. Really? That's the battle plan, Joshua? And the walls come down. It's so similar to this. Like, what, Jehoshaphat? You know, I'm a musician. Uh, you know, what I do, let me explain this to you. I play music and I sing real well. Send those other guys, the mighty warriors, the valiant, the, the mean, tough guys. They go first. No, no. And, and we're going to go out. And, and, and they're going to go out and they're going to sing. But they're going to go out. And that's fighting talk. You go out. But you won't fight. You will stand firm 
you will fear not, and you will see the salvation of the Lord. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. Wow. This, this comes from uh, Exodus 14, 13 through 14, when God delivered Israel across. This is their, their main the, the Passover feast and being led across the Red Sea. This is their main salvation story that they refer back to, and they're referring back to it here. That's where Moses said to the people exactly Almost word for word the same thing. He said, fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians who you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you only have to be silent. Just stand here and watch. And they came to follow them, and the water came and destroyed them, and they saw their dead bodies. And you know what happens with Jehoshaphat when this army turns on itself and kills all them? You know what they do? After they sing this song and go out and praise they stand and look over the valley and they see an army that has killed itself and they spend three days just walking, collecting, collecting all the booty of the win of the battle. They just stood. They stood firm and they praised. And here's what they said. Here's what the Levites sang as they went out. Give thanks to the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. And in Chronicles, David had established this in 1 Chronicles when they brought the ark of God in and they set it before David got these Levites and he got them together, these skilled musicians and singers, and he put them together. And in 1 Chronicles 16, 7, it says, On that day, David first appointed that thanksgiving be sung. Thanksgiving be sung to the Lord by Asaph and his brothers. They, they had all of the music, <laughs> not all of the music ability and talent, but a lot of it. And so they were these skilled musicians that brought forth this thanksgiving. David appointed this day of thanksgiving, this time of thanksgiving. And you know what they said there in First Chronicles 16? Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. They're going out with thanksgiving. Let's go out and sing this song that David taught us in, in, in First Chronicles. And then there's this beautiful psalm in 136. And it has this refrain over and over into it. And they're very likely singing this whole song or thinking this whole song because in Psalm 136, it begins with that verse and it says, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of hosts, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to him, the Lord of heaven, the Lord of the heavenly host, the Lord that's over everything, the God that's above. This is the God I want you to give thanks to. That's what they went out. Our God is the God over our gods. Our God is the God over this situation. Our God has this goodness. It is who he is. It is an attribute of God that he is good. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. He is good. This is a descriptive attribute of God like God is light and that God is love. God is good. Go out and give thanks for that, that God is good. And the psalmist starts saying that not only is he the God of gods, not only is he the Lord of lords, but to him who alone does great wonders. What does he do? By him who, by understanding, made the heavens. You ever want to try to get into the mind of God? It'll, it'll blow your, your, your little tiny brain. But Because we're starting to understand the bigness of the heavens and the universe. And this is where they're saying, 
who God is. They're giving thanks to God who's good. He's good because he created everything because he has a mind, an architect mind that created everything. He goes into creation and he said he created all the heavens. You don't know half hasn't been told, not a fourth has been told about the heavens and all that is in there, all the beautiful creation that is in the heavens. We kind of know about angels and demons. We know about, uh, you know, well, I've heard about seraphim, cherubim. They're a little bit different too, but there's heavenly host. There's heavenly beings. Uh, Ezekiel saw some of them. They have eyes all over. They have, you know, these beasts. We, we have no idea all that God created, but God created them all with his understanding. That's the kind of mind that he has. He plans out. He creates. He speaks and things come in. This is who God is. Is he good? He's good because he is the creator of all these things. He's done great wonders. He understands by his understanding, by his mind, by what he's created, the architect. He made the heavens. He spread out the earth above the waters. He created the earth. And all this in the refrain is for his steadfast love endures forever. For his steadfast love endures forever. For his steadfast love endures forever. To him who made the great lights. What did he make? The sun to rule over the day. The moon and stars to rule over the night. What else did he make? What else do we know about? We know about those few things. But what did he do? What are we praying? What are we giving thanks? Because we're in a battle. And verse 10 says of Psalm 136. For him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt. For his steadfast love endures forever. And brought Israel out from among them. For his steadfast love endures forever. With a strong hand and an outstretched arm. For his steadfast love endures forever. To him who divided the Red Sea in two. For his steadfast love endures forever. And made Israel pass through the midst of it. For his steadfast love endures forever. But overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea. For his steadfast love endures forever. To him who led his people through the wilderness. For his steadfast love endures forever. And it goes on. Goes on. Remember? Remember what he did? The God that is good, whose steadfast love endures forever, how he delivered us? He'll deliver us today. That's the God who's good. That's the God who's sovereign. That's the God who's all-powerful. Stand and see that salvation's fight is the Lord's. And your response is to Exercise faith in him, exercise prayer, and exercise your praise and worship of God. Fall down and worship him because that doesn't make sense unless he really is God. And if he really is God, fall down and worship him as the God above other gods and that there is no other God beside him, not on the plane with him, not equal to him, not in any way above, beside him. He is the God of gods and the Lord of lords. And he commands nations and kingdoms, and he commands your life. Let us submit to him and let us remember him today as we participate in a closing worship song and as we participate in communion together. So if you'd like to join us and you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you have stood and seen the salvation of the Lord in your life, you can grab one of these in the seat in front of you. Jesus was arrested in the garden. One of his own had betrayed him, Judas Iscariot. And they came to arrest him. They wanted to fight. Peter wanted to fight. He drew out a sword. He swung it at the head of the chief priest. He ducked and took his ear off. Jesus said, the battle belongs to me, Peter. The battle's mine. Your salvation is mine. 
Put away your sword. Peter didn't know what else to do. He ran off, scattered with the other sheep. Jesus stood there, and salvation belonged to Jesus. And he submitted himself to the arrest. He was brutally beaten, mocked, spit in, hit in the face, jabbed on his head with a crown of thorns, put in a, in a robe and mocked, hail king of the Jews. And he went up Golgotha's road to Calvary, exhausted, spent in every way, emotionally, physically, everything. Had to have somebody help Simon the Cyrene to carry his cross. He died on that tree. He became all your sin and all the curse and penalty of sin on your behalf. He stood in for you. He said, I will fight for you. Will you trust in me? What this is, is what he instituted to say that we remember you, Jesus. We trust in you. Here's our salvation. We remember that you died for us, that your body was perfect and holy, and you're the only substitutionary atoning sacrifice for our sin, and there is no other hope for me. There is no, no more hope for me out of judgment day other than you, Jesus, and your body and your shed blood. And this is what this represents. So on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he, took, he, he, he taught him this. Judas is out. He's betraying. Go and do what you got to do. And he enacts the Lord's table. He said, I'm inviting you to a table. A table where I will win salvation for you in my body and in my blood. Remember, when you do this from now on, whenever you get together, do this. And always remember that our salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It's through my body, given for you, and my blood shed for you. So, Lord, we want to partake of this symbol representing your body. That you bore in your body our sins, and you gave us your righteousness through faith, that we believe in you. Help us to exercise that faith in you as we partake together of this bread and remember your body. Let us partake together. And in like manner, he took the cup. He said, this is the blood of the new covenant. In the cup, shed for you. Take and drink of it and do this in remembrance of me. Let us remember Jesus and his sacrifice of his blood upon the cross as we partake this together. It says the Levites, when they went out and they sang this song, Oh, give thanks to the to God, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. They sing it with a loud voice. Let us stand and sing as we close.